Thank you very much for coming. This is uh, Prayer as Medicine. That's the name of the, the topic. I appreciate so much your, your being here. And, and let me just, since we're talking about prayer, let me just open us with a, with a quick word of prayer. Lord God, I thank you so much. You're a good God. You're a healing God, and you use us to heal others. And I thank you for each and every person that's here, that you are using them in many ways to bring your gospel, your good news, your love, your care, and your healing power to the hurting wherever they may be. And Lord, I ask that you'd use this time to inspire us and also to give us some some training, some ideas that we can put into practice wherever and however we are serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to show you this first picture. My name is David Harder. My father, uh, Dr. Harold Harder, a pharmacologist. I've got a laser on here somewhere. I'm not sure how it works. Anyhow, this is him. In that picture, this is a picture of him on his very first medical mission trip in 1981 to Guatemala. Uh, they took a team. He didn't want to swing a hammer. They had enough uh, medical people. They thought they would do uh, medicine. They asked him to, uh, to, to gather the pharmaceuticals. And out of that, Blessings International, which is an organization that exists to provide medical uh, pharmaceuticals and medicines for mission teams, existed. But on that very first trip, this happened. On the last day, like on many... Mission trips that you go on, you'll take a day to, to, to see the local sites or do a little touristic things. They went to the local hot spa, and while they were there, this man showed up who was lame and, and blind to a degree. I don't, I don't know the specifics. They gathered around, they prayed for him, and he was healed. He walked out rejoicing. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's just a great story. I have a picture of this, and they don't know who... Somebody on the team, I guess, took this picture, but my dad was in the picture, and it was from that, and so right from its very beginning, Blessings International um, had as part of its core values both medical healing. God is a healer. He heals in lots of different ways, but also supernatural healing. He does miracles. At times, he does. So, so I just wanted to show you that picture and a little bit about me. I've, I'm not a medical person, much to my father, the, the medical school faculty member's uh, chagrin. I was a television reporter, and I, I lived in the Middle East on the island of Cyprus, worked for a uh, broadcast ministry called Sat7 uh, for many years, traveled with my father. There's, there's my family. And while I was there, I became part of a ministry called Healing Rooms, where we pray for the sick. And uh, it's a team ministry, which is very fun. Usually a group of three people will pray for one guest. We don't usually call them a, a patient, but we call them a guest. And it's just been neat to see, and I've been doing that um, I'm not even sure how long, over, over a decade with that group, and just seeing God use us to do amazing things. And Healing Rooms, you can look it up online, healingrooms.com. There's over 3,000 of them all over the world. They're in churches, they're in neutral places, and they all have the same sort of theological and practical methods. And some of those I was going to share with you today because they're very practical when you have the opportunity to pray for people. So what I hope to do today, really, is inspire you to, to pray more for your patients, your friends, your relatives, and also give you a few tools from the experience of healing rooms that you might be able to incorporate into uh, medical practice or, or, or wherever. Um, these are some great resources for praying. I have the book here, uh, God, Medicines, and Miracles by uh, Daniel Fountain, who is a faculty member with the Christian Medical and Dental Associations, and it has a a workbook, Helping Hurting People. I went through part of the training on that. Excellent uh, resources. Those of you who heard Dr. Walt already with Grace Prescriptions, wonderful material about 
how to uh, do a, a spiritual assessment, why you should, why even the government, our government, the U.S. government says it's important. So if you work in a secular hospital, clinic, that's part of the, I forget the federal standards, is to do some of these things. So get, get that. Everybody should get that. I think everybody should read this God, Medicines, and Miracles. talks about treating the, the whole man. Wonderful stories. Uh, here's another one. Uh, testing Prayer by Candy, Dr. Candy Gunter Brown, uh, Ph.D., Harvard-trained um, uh, person. And this is printed by Harvard Press. It's, a, it's a, basically um, studies on miracles. So uh, if you're interested in that, uh, miracles and some scientific evidences and whatnot, that's an excellent resource. Okay, from um, Dr. Fountain's book, I want to uh, read this. The medical profession has a major problem. I can write this because I am a physician. We focus too much on the disease and on the particular part of the body that appears to be sick. We pay too little attention to the person who is ick, who is sick, and how he or she is trying to cope with the illness. Sorry, Dr. Fountain. Um, and then this was a great, uh, I thought this was just a neat thing from his book. In the book of Isaiah, we find a very significant proverb. The bed is too short to stretch out on and the blanket too narrow to wrap around you. From Isaiah 28.20. Isaiah could not have made a more apt analysis about modern medicine and our healthcare system. Medical science has devised a marvelous bed for sick persons, but the bed is too short. Only your body can fit into it. There is no room for your soul or spirit. Psychology has knitted a cozy blanket, but it is too narrow. It doesn't cover your spirit. Isn't that an interesting analogy? There's more. I mean, when you guys meet with people, as, as Eileen was saying, Eileen Coleman, um, when talking about ministering to Muslims, you get a relationship with them. And the relationship opens the door to talk to them about Jesus, to minister to their spirit. So at Blessings International, we... We supply medicines to about 3,000 teams uh, traveling around the world every year. And so uh, working with a, a master's uh, student in uh, public health at Indiana Wesleyan, uh, we did a survey just last, well, in September of those teams. We sent it out, the survey to 3,000 of the teams, got 609 responses of how are they incorporating prayer into their outreaches when they go wherever they're going. And so that's what uh, I'm going to share a little bit about now. This is her paper by uh, Jennifer Park at Indiana Wesleyan. Uh, one of the things she said, studies have shown benefits of prayer for patients. One landmark study published in 1988 randomized patients in a coronary care unit to a group receiving intercessory prayer and a control group. The group being prayed for had a significant lower severity score based on the hospital course after entry. Those prayed for needed fewer interventions like a ventilator assistance and antibiotics during their time in the hospital. Another quote from her introduction in the paper, the study's authors found that supplementary, remote, blinded, intercessory prayer produced a measurable improvement in the medical outcomes of critically ill patients. And there's, there's more data. Uh, Dr. Walt's book has, has more data on that as well. Um, and then here's, here's some responses of people. Although there are many benefits for prayer to the sick, some Christian medical workers shy away from implementing prayer in their practice. A nurse writing in the Journal of Christian Nursing named several barriers and reasons that nurses don't pray or address the spiritual needs of patients, such as lack of time, not feeling prepared, fear of what peers may think, fear in general, and the like. Another nurse writing in the same publication stated, with increasing amount of evidence that substantiates complementary and alternative treatments as beneficial to health and well-being of patients, Nurses need to be encouraged to offer prayer and spiritual care when appropriate. 
So in our study, we had a, uh, it was a 22-question uh, survey, and I'm just going to give you some of the, the re- results. So this is long-term extended stay, so people living in countries. So most of our teams, which makes sense with Blessings International, were short-term teams. Um, open, semi-open, closed to prayer. Obviously, you have to be more careful in, in certain places, culturally, governmentally. Uh, but most of the, the teams that we supply medicines to go to open places. This shows a breakdown, uh, volunteer medical leaders, full-time uh, medical professionals. So it, so it was a mix of folks, although the biggest was volunteer medical missions team coordinators. So if your church is going and somebody's putting together the team, that's the biggest group. But there was a lot of medical people as well. Um, have you received training about how to incorporate prayer uh, into your care for patients? So, you know, some had, obviously, but the majority, 57 percent by ours had not ever received any any training you guys in medical school nursing school dental school you have so much training but you need a little training to feel confident right i mean whenever you're not confident about something you're intimidated by it and then you've got the cultural thing and then you you know all these other things so i hope to to be able to help provide some training uh, on a given week what percentage of your patients receives personal one-on-one prayer from you it was, a, it was a real mix. I don't know what we can get out of that. The, the master's student, she's still processing the data. But the, the biggest group was 0 to 25%. So um, quite a few people didn't get any, any prayer. But it, it goes up uh, 75 to 100%, 23% said yes. Prayer is a key and organized part of our medical team service. Do you agree or disagree with this statement? I agree. I realized in this question that we should have probably asked prayer for your patients or with your patients. Because a lot of them in the responses, of course, if you're going on a Christian team, you're going to be praying, I hope, <laughs> you know, at the beginning of the day for the trip. So most of the Christian teams said they are praying. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean if they were praying for patients. So that might have been a problem with that question. Uh, does your team have individuals assigned to pray with and for each patient? So uh, almost 50%, 53% said no, 57% said yes. So a lot of medical teams do have, you know, they work with local pastors, lay people to provide that. So that's fairly equitable. Um, do you and others in your team feel comfortable and confident in praying with your patients for healing? A lot of people said yes. That's great. And I realized looking back through this that um, a lot of the people we sent the survey to are senior people. I mean, they're people who've gone on mission trips a lot. They go regularly. They're going on Christian medical trips, so they hopefully are praying with their patients. But what about new people? It's their first time. They don't know the culture. What's okay? I'm not real confident praying. You know, uh, that's a question I would have. Do you provide any training or preparation to help medical personnel pray for your patients? Ah, 67% said no. I mean, those of you who have been on a lot of medical missions, you know that the doctor, sometimes, you know, he's he or she are so busy that they'll just show up and then do, so there's not a lot of team prep time anyhow. So, are they trained to pray for her or other people on the team? What are we doing to train? According to this response, at least, not many are putting in training to pray with and for patients as part of their regular training process. And I think this is the last question I put up here. Would you like to have training and resources available on how to pray for people in ways that are respectful and honoring and will work well with medical outreaches? Yes. 75% said yes. We would like more training in that. So, at least according to our survey of these 3,000, and actually it was 609 who responded, so it wasn't 3,000 people, but we sent it to, most overwhelmingly said, yes, we would like to have 
uh, more training in this. And this, uh, this was the last question. Do you have follow-up forms or systems for patients to give testimonies, whether they, they feel or see any change in their condition? And most, most said no. Uh, there's not a follow-up. And the importance of that, it's just nice to hear testimonies. It's encouraging. Wow. You know, and sometimes, you know, if you're on a clinic, somebody knows what happened, but the other people didn't. If you, if you write down a testimony, it doesn't mean it happens every time I'm in a prayer ministry. There's not, often there's not testimonies, but when there are, to record them. So I just kind of threw that out as an idea. Now I've got uh, just some quotes from the open-ended questions in the survey, which I think uh, are illustrative of many things. What barriers do you and other medical personnel feel limit your opportunities to pray with patients? Well, the, the biggest is time. I mean, that was overwhelming. It was something like 43%. Sheer amount of time makes me feel I can't pray with everyone. Praying for every patient would prevent them, prevent all patients from seeing doctors' time. Unbelief in medical personnel, uh, time constraints, a busy clinic, clinic, time constraints, large volume, language barrier, privacy concerns, Muslim nation, language time. Our denomination doesn't have a history of praying for miracles, although I personally believe in them and God's ability and willingness to heal miraculously. Time constraints, the underlying part of me for emphasis, insecurity about one's own spiritual confidence. It's like, ah, that's something we can address. <laughs> that's something that we can give you a little more confidence in. Uh, it's not a priority with team leaders, time and environment, language barriers, make newer volunteers feel uncomfortable, but we know God hears in all languages. I have been doing prayer ministry overseas. I lived overseas for nine years with lots of cultures, and it works cross-culturally. They don't have to know. It's great when you have a translator, but when God's power touches them, sometimes then they'll ask the questions. So um, government, local laws, patient attitudes. Um, time and volunteers, feeling uncomfortable, again, I underlined that, <laughs> about introducing the idea, language. As a medical professional, I feel constrained by time. Um, but you know, did, did you hear the plenary, uh, Dr. Harvey? He said he tries to pray with every one of his patients every day at a 60-bed hospital. And he's the, he's the head administrator. He has made this a priority. Uh, mostly lack of time for training, I believe, medical providers have been trained to rely on their own skills and knowledge and to heal the sick rather than prayer, even believers. Um, this one, I, they brought some booklets, and they thought it was a veiled attempt to convert, so that affected, kept the villagers away, so we need to be sensitive. Uh, fear of offending a patient. Um, let's see. People are shy about praying. We've never developed this routine. Uh, some practitioners are uncomfortable praying. Um, sheer numbers. So I've got, lo- I've got lots and lots of these. Uh, we have many people to see. Um, oh, I like this. Based and assume that treatment based on our knowledge, instead of taking enough time to wait in God to see what He wants to do in a situation, sometimes training kicks in and we start treating. Then someone will stop and say, "Hey, has anyone prayed for this?" <laughs> so when they stop, um, they don't incorporate prayer. Uh, I'm gonna, for the sake of time, I'm not gonna read all these. I, I had so many. And I thought they were very interesting. Um, I like this last one. After reading these questions, I realized we haven't done it nearly enough. We pray prior to and going out and definitely in country before we depart, but we should also incorporate it into our treatment as well. Um, So patients are happy to receive it. Uh, It gives patients hope beyond their situation. It brings encouragement and renews faith. You know, I was in Jordan in, in June doing a treatment, and people there are traumatized. These refugees are traumatized. Medically, there's only so much you can do. There's not many counselors. There's not many Christian counselors. What can you do? Well, well, praying is a lot, actually. Let God do something in their lives, and it's amazing uh, what he will do. Uh, 
let's say, best thing we ever did was have a designated portion to the clinic, to then clinic, devoted to prayer. Um, I've seen it incorporated, not done enough by medical providers. So that was probably not a medical person. Um, let me see. Have it done. Generally, it's well received and worth the investment, even if it makes our day longer. Hasn't been part of our medical outreach. It changed the team. <laughs> so you see the, the full gamut uh, in these. Um, I've been so busy, I've not focused enough on incorporating prayer into something simple as dispensing deworming meds. I plan to change that as a result of this questionnaire. Thank you. So I feel like, well, that's good. I planted the seed of praying with that, with that team. They're going to do, do more. Uh, this one was a little bit of an indictment from a non-medical person. It seems easier for non-medical team members to embrace and pray for people rather than those in the medical profession. It has been my experience that medical personnel can be overbearing and arrogant in the field, causing lots of problems, especially since they know so much about it. So there is somebody with maybe an axe to grind, sorry. Um, I have found that with prayer, we are no different than any other organizations. I found that, sorry, without prayer, we are no different than any other organization that offers medical help. I have not personally witnessed any miracles, but I do believe they can happen. I also feel that many times there is nothing medically we can do for people, but we can pray with them and minister to their spiritual needs. And sometimes and often, that is exactly what they need. I'm going to skip some of these. Um, here's an anecdote. And I, had, I got pages of these. And it was fun to read through miracles that people wrote. So I want to publish some of this stuff. Uh, we don't treat uh, seizures in our short-term clinics once a girl came from Laos to Thailand for a clinic, she had severe seizures and often fell into a fire. She had no access to medical care at home. We led her to the Lord and prayed for her for healing. Then she had no more seizures. Several people accepted Christ, too, on the basis of her testimony. Some in her village got sick, and one of our pastors prayed for them. They were healed, and more people got saved. The church was planted. They underwent persecution, but they stayed strong with their faith. So, yeah. So there's, there's more of those stories. So... So that was kind of the study. So from, from the study, we saw just a lot of different responses, but a lot of people said, yes, we do incorporate prayer, but we want and we see the need to do it um, more. And what I want to give you now is, is some, some things to think about uh, in, in praying. And we have, a, I have a pan, some panel, uh, panelists here who are going to talk a little bit about how they have incorporated prayer and what they've seen happen through prayer in their uh, ministry outreaches. But I just want to give you some of these and this is from my, my experience and the healing room's experience of praying for patients. So I think these, call it the seven Ps, I think these things are important. Perspective. You are a minister of God's healing power. I mean, you're a minister vocationally and with medicines, but also supernaturally. And we know Jesus said to the disciples, and not just the 12 we know of, the 72, we don't know their names. Matthew 10:7. go, and as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. So that's a command. We're his disciples, and Luke uh, 10.8 um, echoes the same thing. Um, and I love this, Mark 2. I, I'm not going to give the whole, read the whole scripture, but you get to bring people to Jesus. What happened in Mark 2? The lame, there was the lame man, and he was, Jesus was healing people. And so his buddy said, hey, we've got to get him close. And there was one guy who said... I, I think, in my mind, there was, there was like one guy, let's go through the roof. And, and so they all went through the roof. And, and what happened? Well, Jesus didn't heal him at first, did he? Jesus forgave all of his sins. And then to show his authority, he said, take up your mat and walk. But what did the buddies do? They just brought him to Jesus. And in prayer, 
You know, I love seeing miracles, and I've seen some miracles, but I've seen many people who weren't healed, but God has always touched them. The Lord Jesus has always, every time I've prayed, done something. And so I think in prayer, if we can come like to the expectation of those guys, we're bringing him to Jesus. We're going to see what he's going to do. He's lame. Jesus just forgave his sins. Hey, we didn't ask for that. He's lame, obviously. But he did both. And so when we bring people to Jesus, we don't know what's going to happen exactly. But Jesus is going to do something. And so keep that in mind when you think about praying. Um, and we know that uh, James 5, 6, we're to confess our sins and pray for one another so that we may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain for nearly three years and six months. Elijah was a man like us. And look at the miracles God did through, through him. He can do miracles through us, too. Um, now, what if someone isn't healed? And I'm just going to touch on this because I think it's important. And there are certain traditions that can be very, very negative if someone isn't healed. And I like this um, from Matthew 11, from, from John the Baptist. When John was in prison and he heard about the deeds of Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And then later in that same chapter, truly I tell you, among those born of woman, there has not yet risen one greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than he. So, John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist recognized Jesus in the womb, in his mother's womb. And then he was there, he baptized Jesus, heard the voice of God, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. But John, so John the Baptist knew who the Messiah was. That was his whole purpose. He was, the, he was making the way for the Lord to come. But in the end of his life, things weren't going well. He's in prison. Maybe he'd prayed and he wasn't released. And so he begins to wonder, Jesus, are you, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus says, look at the miracles. And blessed is he who does not stumble on account of me. Some, some translations say, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So John the Baptist had seen miracles, heard the voice of God. But this time his prayers, maybe what he wanted, wasn't happening and he wondered. And so I think sometimes we're just not going to know. It's okay not to know. It's a mystery. And so I still pray for people. And if they're not healed, God's going to do something. I'm confident of that every time I pray. And I've seen it over and over and over again. But John the Baptist, it says, was the greatest person ever born. Even he had some questions and didn't understand. There were some things that were mysterious that the Lord Jesus was doing. And Jesus said, don't become offended. And so, if you've ever been offended, a prayer hasn't been answered for a child to be healed. or You know, those things are real. They hurt. God is still good. I still believe he does miracles. I've, I've seen them. Why did this person get a miracle and this person didn't? I have no idea. I just brought them to Jesus. <laughs> like those guys to the roof. And that's my job. And your jobs, too. I believe. Um, Supernatural healing does happen today. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Jesus went around. Jesus hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He commanded his disciples to heal. We're his disciples. We bring people to Jesus. He decides what will happen. Priority. So that was the perspective. So believing that God does heal and he uses us. Priority. Is praying for your patients important? Do you have training? Do you have team members, local pastors, ministers available for patients? Do you see prayer ministry as an integral part of your treatment process? 
Have you ever thought through how to effectively minister to your patients? This was one quote from the survey. Praying for patients is the single most important and fulfilling part of medical missions. Over the past 12 years of missions, we have progressively learned to be more intentional about doing so and always need to be reminded to keep it a priority. So that's, that's someone who's saying, yes, it's very important. And so think about that when you're planning your medical mission trips. How is prayer? How, am I ready? Are the team ready? So let's make it a priority. Uh, preparation and practice. Are you providing a means for team members to learn about how they can pray for their patients? The majority, that was the biggest on those graphs, 76% or something like that, was like, no, we're not. We're not we would like to. <laughs> um, are you practicing praying for each other? I mean, you guys are doctors. You have to practice, or dentists, or nurses. I mean, you practice what you do before you stick someone with an IV. Well, let's practice praying for each other. And you can practice on the team, our healing rooms team. Sometimes we don't have any guests that come for prayer. We pray for each other. We pray for their needs. So, uh, do you have resources available for team members, like these books that I showed you, like the Grace Prescriptions? I mean, there's lots of things out there. Prayer basics. I've got a lot of these. I'm just going to kind of rush through them. They're just kind of seeds that I'm throwing out there. Praying is always about showing people the love of Christ and honoring them. Even if nothing happens from your prayer visibly, when you show someone you love them by saying, can I pray for you, that that alone will bless them, and that can change them, even medically. That can encourage them. So uh, it's always about praying. Always ask permission before you pray. I always, I always try to do that. Um, always ask permission if you lay hands on people. Different traditions do that. Some don't. But I always say, can I, I like to pray that way. Can I lay my hands on you? There are some scriptural basis for that. But you don't have to lay hands on people. There was something when the Ebola stuff came out. I heard a story that, that some pastors... They felt they always had to lay hands on people. It's a bit of a problem when you have a deadly <laughs> transmittable disease that's caused by touching. Well, you don't have to lay hands on people. Um, and don't, if you do, these are some simple things. I'm going to put my hands here. Is that all right? I, t- I tell people, don't, don't rub because that distracts. I mean, these are just, they're simple things if you're praying for someone. Um, it's not about a formula. You know, we all, you know, we are trained in the West. Science, there's formulas. We do this, we do this, and here's the outcome. Well, you know, those guys put their buddy through the roof, waiting for him to heal a leg. And what did Jesus do? Forgave his sins. And he healed his leg, too. But Jesus did lots of different things. So what we're trying to do, and this is something I emphasize a lot usually, is we're trying to use our spiritual ears to listen. So our training says this and that. And even my training as a minister, I can pray, I've got this scripture for that and this scripture for that. But is that what the Lord wants me to pray at that moment? Or does he want me to ask a question? Or to sing a song or, you know, whatever. Am I listening? So let's listen. Let's use our spiritual ears. The Holy Spirit may say, here's a scripture. Maybe it's one you haven't thought of in years and years that you memorized when you were nine years old. Um, So it's not about a formula. It's about listening to the Holy Spirit and then praying. Um, Some prayer basics. Men, avoid, if you're going to lay hands on people, avoid laying hands on open skin. Um, One thing, and you could use this in your medical office if you're praying for people. I often say, why don't you put your hand where it hurts? So there's lots of abdominal uh, issues. Just put, just put your hand where it hurts. Someone has breast cancer. Just put your hand there. I'm a man. I'm not going to put my hand there. But, but I, I might have someone on a team put, lay their hand on there. Or I might put my hand on, the, on their arm. It's a very respectful way of saying. And, and even laying on hands, you know, I believe there's a spiritual relational thing. But it's a physical thing, too. It's showing I, I, I honor you and I want God to touch you. So that's a, being sensitive about that. Uh, praying with authority. Sometimes Jesus rebukes things. 
Sometimes you might feel led by the Lord to rebuke some sickness, some illness, something that, you know, as the Lord leads you. And just be, be prepared for, for that. But don't, you know, some people make everything a formula. That's the way they always pray for something. Well, is that the way God wants you to pray at this time? Um, praying scripture, very powerful. Forgiveness prayers. Oh, for, you know, people get bound up in so many things and they need to forgive others. Leading people, asking them, is there anyone that you would like to forgive? Can I, can I lead you in a prayer of forgiveness? I think I have that. Praying, leading people in out loud prayers is very powerful because they're saying something. They're saying, thank you God for loving me and, and I ask you to forgive me and I, Lord, I choose with your help to forgive my neighbor, my buddy. And I often do that. If you lead somebody in an out loud prayer, um, and especially with, I've done it with translators, keep it real short, what you're going to say. I used to minister with someone who would say, and of course the other person can't remember what to say. So if you lead someone in an out loud prayer, and I often will, I will usually say, and don't just repeat what I'm saying because I'm saying it, if it, if it meets with your heart, and we can stop if we need to. Anyhow, just praying for children. Always ask permission from the parents. I usually get down on the kids' level and pray for them. It's usually short. And then I always minister to the parents, too, for whatever the condition the, the kids have. Um, let's see. Uh, prayer basic spiritual issues. It's okay. Good to pray for someone who isn't yet a Christian. But we need to be respectful of them. Always be ready to give an example, reason for the hope that lies within you. But do it with gentleness and respect. So I've prayed for Muslims and you know, they didn't have to be a Christian before I prayed for them. Just God's love touched them, healed them, set them free. And then they were like, wow, what was that? And I have lots of stories on that I could tell. But it's powerful when people are touched by a powerful God. Um, I already talked about leading someone prayers out loud. Be prepared to explain the gospel. You guys are medical providers. But you also have to be evangelists. You may be the only person that actually talks to that person that day. And God may say, hey. You need to lead them in the prayer of Christ. You need to explain the gospel. So I have a couple of systems up here. I won't explain them, but be prepared because you're an evangelist. You're a minister. <laughs> you're a healer. The greatest healing is spiritual healing. So you may be called upon. That's not really my zone. We need to call the pastor in. There's no pastor today. It's like when you go on a mission trip, you came all the way from America. Be prepared to preach also. <laughs> Those of you who've been on mission trips, I've had many people like, I don't preach. That's not my area. It's like, People are like, well, you came all this way. You must have something to say. So be prepared to be an evangelist. Just have, have a scripture. And then pray. Uh, like uh, those of you who know the Alpha program, in the prayer they use, sorry, thank you, please. It's an easy to remember when you're leading someone to prayer. Sorry, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying for me. I believe you died for me. Uh, forgive me. Uh, please help me walk with you. Anyhow, quick stuff. Uh, rebuking curses, generational curses. You may feel pray, led to pray these things. Uh, dealing with the demonic. Many people, I've known people who didn't really believe in the demonic until they went overseas. And they saw it. They had a green thing in the room that was attacking their kid at night. You know, these things happen. Do we need to be afraid of that? No. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. And most of the time, people just need a salvation encounter or a truth encounter. They need to encounter the truths of Scripture. Um, so anyhow, I've got some... Leading people to, 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 to come to know the Lord or repenting and renouncing things because often they have opened the door for the demonic to come into their life. And then you help them fill themselves with the Holy Spirit and shut the door for whatever they, they did to allow the enemy to have a right to come in. Um, after prayer ends, I often will ask a patient, do you feel any a patient, a guest, do you, do you feel anything? Because a lot of things, and you can't tell a lot of times, but they might say, you know, I feel lighter. You'll be amazed how many times people say, I just feel lighter. Those burdens have been lifted just by a simple prayer. Just by, I, heard, I, 
It was in his book, actually. The book I was saying, there was a story of a woman. They, they were pushing someone to, to surgery, and I guess she was, like, semi-conscious. And, and whoever, I don't think it was even a nurse. It was just the tech pushing them, and they just said, I pray that things go well for you to that day. And this person, and then they went unconscious and had the surgery. But that word alone, that someone was praying for them, that it would go well, it listed their, their spirit, their subconscious. So, um, asking people how they, they feel afterwards. You'd be surprised how often they say they feel better. <laughs> a simple prayer, you may not even remember what you prayed. Um, we always, in healing rooms, on our form, we have people sign the form at the bottom. There's a liability thing that, that actually stipulates you must, you should keep taking your medicines if you, be, if you believe you've been healed. Go back to your physician and be retested. Don't just stop them based on a, on a feeling. So that's, that's something there. Because I believe God heals through medicines as well. But it's important for people to know that. that and actually there was one of the physicians, uh, I, I went through fast, but he said they had an HIV patient who went to a meeting, felt he was um, cured, stopped taking the antiretrovirals, and he came back and he was drug resistant or, you know, it didn't work anymore. That guy should have been retested. So, and that's okay. Um, at the end of the day, I often play a, a, a cleansing prayer. Lord, Pray that nothing from this, this clinic, from the patients that may have supernaturally come in or affected me emotionally. You guys are dealing with patients. There's emotion. Lord, I put them in your hands for you to take care. Otherwise, you can go away very burdened. People have fourth-stage cancer and, and, and whatnot. Lord, I put them in your hands. I'm lowering them through the roof to you. You can handle it. Uh, prophecy. I like this because, to me, it's, it's God speaking through us. Um, 1 Corinthians 14.1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. The one who, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. You know, uh, and it, should, that, it does not counter Scripture. We should not give anything that, that counters Scripture. That's, that point was it. So don't give things that counter Scripture. But often, you know, what is, I believe prophecy is basically the Holy Spirit just telling us stuff. Just giving us stuff. For them. And often it is a scripture. So things you might get. What is prophecy? God speaking to you via the Holy Spirit for someone's sake. God might give you scripture, picture, words, impressions, pain in the part of the body, emotions, songs, questions. I have so many stories about this. But what I'm trying to say is use your spiritual ears because you'll be surprised what only the Holy Spirit can read. And it may not make a lot of sense. So what I tell people is if you sense something from the Holy Spirit, kind of lay it out there as a question. Don't say, God says this. You might, in your spirit, be like, they need to forgive. I can just tell, and I just keep sensing from God, they need to forgive their mom. You know, if someone says, God says you should forgive your mom, well, what if you heard wrong? <laughs> you know, they have, so um, instead, just lay it out there, and, and that's what we do. You know, is, is there any, I just get a sense, is there anything with you and your mom? That, you know, and they might say, yeah, how did you know? Like, well, and I've got lots of, I got lots of stories. One of my favorite stories, we were praying for a man, a Muslim man in northern Turkish, northern Cyprus, and my friend kept getting a picture of a kite. What does that have to do with anything? So he shared with the man, I, I keep getting this picture of a kite flying. And the man, he didn't even want to tell a group. He pulled him to the side later, and he, and he said, you know, when I was a boy, my father used to beat me, and I would dream that I was a kite that could fly away. And it was like God was telling him, I saw that. I knew your pain as a child. And, th- and that guy... Uh, uh, Mehmet, I think. He gave his life to the Lord. I mean, isn't that just cool? It was just a little thing. What does a kite have to do with anything? I don't know. I'm just going to lay it out there. 
Now, I found if you get these things, and I get pictures a lot, and often they're, they're very scriptural. I just see God putting his arm around you. Oh, it just means so much to people. You know, just little things. You'd be surprised. And you will get these. It's the Holy Spirit in us. He knows stuff. Um, it's neat. Uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, so when you get something like this, three things can happen. Like, like that with the kite. Does this mean anything to you? And the person said, yes, it does. But it might not. You might say, I get a, I get a sense of this uh, anger. Does that mean anything? No. But, you know, my, my brother's really angry at my mom. Or, you know, oh, okay, so it led to something else. The number two. They, they said no, but it led to something else to pray for. Oh, great. I sent something. It wasn't exactly, but it led to something. That we pray, we'll pray for that. Or a, a third possibility. person says no. And there's, there's, there's nothing that you could tell that when you send something from the Holy Spirit connected with them. And so what happens with that often is you think, I don't hear from God. <laughs> I am never doing that again. But you have to realize, you may have heard exactly the right thing, and that person just doesn't want to deal with that. And I've got some examples. I'm not going to go into that. But that happens. So if you send something from God and you kind of laid it out there like a plate, and they, they decided not to take it, don't condemn yourself because they may go away. They know God was ringing their bell. You planted a seed. Sometimes we plant seeds. Sometimes we water. Sometimes we harvest. It's fun when we get to do all three. So that's just a little stuff about prophecy. Um, never give negative dates. Never give negative items. You said something negative, turn it to a positive. I often do long training on this. And I tell people they should test this. There's been a lot of words some, in some traditions they use, I have a word for you, and they tell something, it can be devastating, because it's like, that person said they heard from God for me. It's like, well, no. And this is good training for all of us. You ask God about that. If it sits with your spirit, then you pray about it. Like the Bereans did. They tested everything. So you can test it, because I've known people who have been hurt by that. Somebody said, some, I've had somebody say something negative, like a death thing, and I should have rebuked it right then, but I wasn't sort of, yeah, but it's like, no, that didn't sit with my spirit. I don't believe that's from God. So you can just do that. So I tell people that sometimes. Anyhow, uh, there's a lot of stuff on that. I do often do trainings on listening to God. It's, it's very fun. But I just want you to go away with that as a seed, that God may give you stuff that you'd be surprised about and just lay it out there and see how God leads you to pray for people. There's another thing, practicalities to think about in your, in your planning. Do we have local ministers? Do we need to recruit and train more people? How do we know for our local prayer volunteers that they know what they're doing? There was an example, you know, It'd be good to have some training that you have that you might say, hey, I'd like you guys to read through, or, or some of you have long-time relationships with the places you go and serve on. It'd be good for them to have training if they're locals, so that way you know. Um, you know, do we have spiritual follow-up plans? I mean, things, practicalities for the prayer side, potential problems, just things to consider. How will prayer will be received? What about denominational issues, issues with other religions? Um, I mentioned this already before. Are we telling people if they believe they're healed to go back and get rechecked and not stop taking their medicine <laughs> until they do? That's important. Um, and last, number seven, proclamation testimonies. I've got all these stories, you know. They encourage me. They help me keep going. Um, I, I prayed for someone with a gallbladder. They were scheduled the next day. They saw the sludge. The woman was jaundiced and green. And amazingly, the next day she went in for surgery and... They kept waiting and waiting. The surgeon needed new scans, and they had new scans done. And then finally the guy came in, and the surgeon came in and said, I don't know why you're here. You have the healthiest gallbladder I've ever seen. You can go home. Wow, that is crazy. Awesome. <laughs> that doesn't happen every time. Why? I don't know. 
I don't know, but God is good, and I'm going to keep praying for people, and I'm going to rejoice, and I can tell you that every time I pray for some, somebody, something happens. The Holy Spirit shows up, God uses me, I'm a vessel for Him to pour through, and so are, so are you. Um, the last part, remember, God hears our prayers, and it's important for us to pray for the sick whenever we have the opportunity. A last P, I threw this one in for free. Number eight, it's God's presence manifested in us and through us that brings supernatural healing. You know, and he, and he does. So, um, so that's what I have to share. Um, but we have got a panel, and I want to introduce uh, our panel for them to talk about some of the experiences they've had with, with prayer and medical missions. And, and maybe we can get some questions from the audience for, about what I just shared or from them. So let me introduce my friend, uh, Dr. Donald Treadway. He's an obstetrician, gynecologist. He got his MD from the University of Illinois uh, School of Medicine and PhD from the University of Southern California. He's done a lot of education and with appointments at the University of Southern California, University of California, University of Chicago, University of Oklahoma, or Roberts University, Loma Linda. Lots of places. He served at a hospital in, uh, for many years in uh, Saudi Arabia. And he's just done a lot of amazing things. So, Dr. Treadway, would you join us? Thank you so much. And also, uh, Debbie Lambert, who's an RN, a clinical nurse specialist. She got her... Bachelor's and Master's at uh, the Oral Roberts University School of Nursing. She's going to be an adjunct at Indiana Wesleyan, uh, teaching from Haiti, where she is now. She's been there for two years. Uh, she'll be doing soon. Uh, they're getting ready to do a mobile um, uh, clinic for orphanages. That's not just about treating the acute things. It's about measuring and get providing basic health care and then measuring the outcomes to improve things. So she'll be doing that in the, in the upcoming year. So thank you so much. And she's done a lot of stuff in Mongolia and, and all over the world. So thank you, Debbie, so much. Oh, yeah, thanks for grabbing another chair. And Dr. Laura Melter, she's with Samaritan's Purse. Oh, sorry. I didn't read my own handwriting. I didn't write it down. I've just met Dr. Smelter. Sorry. I think I was still thinking about the SP. I couldn't. It was an SP. Oh, Samaritan's Purse. Anyhow, she's, she's in Haiti now? I was in Haiti last year. I'm on okay. So that's sabbatical this year. So let me, um, unfortunately, this is the only microphone. So let me change this microphone over, and then you guys can kind of, sorry to unbutton my shirt. I used to be a TV reporter, and that's the way we did it. Was, <laughs> we didn't just hook it on. So, uh, and Don, can I just ask you to give a, 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 a something about how you have incorporated prayer into into what you've done medically and what you've seen occur. I'll give you that. Well, I think, I think for me, uh, I had a transition where God moved in my life and changed. Uh, and uh, I'm a surgeon and uh, hard-headed surgeon, if you will. And quite often when God moves in my life, but I think the important thing for me, when I made the transition, uh, I had achieved everything academically and had a tenured appointment at the University of Chicago. And then God began speaking to me to go to a new medical school at Oral Roberts where a lot of my colleagues thought I was crazy, and at times I thought I was too. But yet when I, I would pray for my patients at the University of Chicago, but then when I got to Oral Roberts University, it was expected for us to pray. 
And God really showed me that the limitation was in me, not in him. And I soon found that I needed God to see opportunities that would be there. And if I started my day by, by praying and saying, God, let your Holy Spirit show me the opportunities that you pass before me, I would have amazing days. And I would accomplish so much. Now, if I got up late or if I was up all night and was tired and I didn't pray, it was just another day like so many years. So I think, uh, and uh, I think each one of us can share, can share stories. Uh, but in my practice, I have seen the clinically dead raised by the power of God. I've seen someone with a bullet that severed the spinal cord in the cervical region get up and walk by the power of God. And. I certainly know my limitations, but God has no limitations. And all I'm asked to do is to pray and either to go through the roof or, as you say, come down through the roof. Thank you. They wanted both, so I'm just sorry. Oh, this is a feat. Okay. So um, so I'm just going to address, I think, the issue of time. Because when we're out there, and I've done just a tremendous amount of mobile medical teams, I don't always believe those are the most effective, but sometimes they are all you can do for a population or a people. Or you have you walk into a clinic and you know there's 250 people waiting for you that day, and you just walk in and you're like, wow, this is crazy. Um, so the issue of time, I think, can be addressed in many ways. I'm a nurse. I'm an advanced practice nurse. Nurses are pretty creative usually. We try to help facilitate things like the flow and how to do things and the processes and the quality and the outcomes. So I've tried to always look at things and pray beforehand and then during when we get there. How are we going to minister? Prayer is just a part of our ministry. Ministry is how we act. It's how we touch the patient. Like David was saying, you know, sometimes I think some of these people we deal with never get just a gentle, positive touch. That's part of the ministry while you're listening to their lungs and you're listening to their heart and you're palpating pulses or you're, you're palpating in an abdomen. Can you do it gently and respectfully? In so many of these countries, you all know, they don't do anything with compassion. Patients are treated with contempt often, and they're just treated horribly like they're not worth anything. So what can I do if I'm the provider or if I'm in triage or if I'm in pharmacy, wherever I happen to be, to just give them that 90 seconds of my undivided attention, to look them in the eye if that's appropriate, to touch them gently, to respect them, to honor them, to minister to them with how I provide the care to them, But in addition to recognize that just like us, people don't like waiting, right? I mean, I know people that come and wait nine or ten hours to see a provider, but that's not um, necessarily something they want to do. They do it out of necessity. How can we redeem that time? You know, the waiting rooms are big 
big areas where you can go out and minister. So when you're organizing a team or you're organizing your approaches to how you're going to provide care for these patients, you know, it might be the medical people praying, but it might be pastors praying. I always like to involve some of the local staff, the local congregation, the local pastors, because they are going to be the ones to do follow-up. If I'm not there all the time, if I'm not a constant presence in their life, we need to involve the people that will be that can follow up with them and introduce them. But the waiting rooms to me or the waiting areas, whatever that might be, might not be a room, might be a cement bench, might be the, the ground, might be whatever. Those are fertile places to get out there and to have even your non-medical helpers can get out there. They can go person to person and pray for people. They can lead a little bit of worship. Music is a universal, universally liked thing. Generally, most people, if you're in an area where they're separate from you so you can still hear if you're the provider, but they can sing worship songs with them. They can pray for people before they get to you. They can do a little bit of teaching, share some scriptures. The pharmacy is another area you can do that. You can be creative. They can get prayed for every step along the way, or you can have designated places for them to be prayed for as long as you're sensitive to extra prayer. Or when you're talking to them, when you're working with them, if you are supposed to pray with them. Um, Again, it's just one of the parts of your ministry. But maybe the pharmacy is a great place for them to get prayed for. Maybe you want a separate station. Maybe you need it behind curtains. Because maybe it's a country where they shouldn't be praying with a Christian and therefore they need some privacy if they're going to do that. I've had a lot of times where I have the pharmacy behind curtains, the pharmacy consultation area. And so the pharmacy person dispensing the meds can take them back there, explain their meds, and ask them if they want prayer, and it's in a private area. So I think you do have to be culturally sensitive, respect that. and um, But I think it's you can incorporate it easily. And I like to remind my teams or the groups that I'm working with always, like, we're going in, we have some expertise We have something to share with these people. God gave you gifts and talents. You know, we could tell you story after story of how uh, a neurosurgeon subspecialist thought, why am I on a general primary care team? And we needed that neurosurgeon, you know, to see certain patients. Like God connected you. God brought you for a specific reason. I used to, a lot of my background is pediatric cardiovascular surgery, and I used to think, You know, at the beginning, I went to Oral Roberts University because they merged prayer and medicine, and that's what I wanted to learn. And But people kept telling me, because I felt drawn to critical care and then pediatrics, and people kept saying, critical care, you'll never use that on the mission field. And I thought, oh, okay. They kept saying, you have to go work, labor, and delivery, you know. And I thought, well, why would God give me this desire and this capability and this aptitude if it wasn't going to help? And then later on I learned, like, You know, critical care is everywhere in your assessment skills and what you do for patients and how you can go and minister and pediatric cardiac surgical teams and things like that. So you should never think that just because God calls you to some super, super, super subspecialty that he can't use you out on the mission field because he certainly can and will. But I like to remind my teams when we're getting ready, like, We're going to do what we can do, obviously. You know, we're going to bring all the medicines we can bring. We're going to have all the expertise we can have. But we always need to leave a little bit of room for the supernatural. 
So never, ever think that we can do that on our own or should we do it on our own because we should not. We always need to leave some room for God to work and leave a little room for the supernatural. Okay. Can you hear me? This is interesting. So, um, so I would like to echo what both of my predecessors have said in that everything you do, even in the United States as a Christian medical professional, you're practicing and you're giving the presence and the love of Christ in everything that you do. Um, also, the Bible says pray without ceasing. So especially in other countries, but even in the United States, I'm praying throughout my entire day. I'm praying for wisdom mentally in my own mind. Um, to see each patient, and many times I'll get answers that I know did not come from me. (laughs) They're medically appropriate, they're clinically, they're evidence-based, but I would not have thought of it in that moment. Um, So prayer is for your patients and also for you, Um, and as Dr. Tagastar said, to rely on the Holy Spirit. Um, I do think you need to ask patients permission, Um, again, to the prayer without ceasing, Maybe in 20 years I've had two patients say, no, they don't want prayer. Everyone else has accepted prayer. For those two patients, I thought, that doesn't matter. I'm praying for you anyway. I'm just not praying with you at this moment. You know, it's the one thing that we can do at any time. Um, When the patient's in front of us, we can give them medicines. They can go home and not take the medicines. We can still be praying for them. So it's just something that you incorporate into your life as a Christian and as a Christian physician um, to be praying for guidance and wisdom and for your patients um, and sharing with them, but really listening to the Holy Spirit. I don't pray with all patients on the mission field or in the United States. Um, I rely on the Holy Spirit to prompt me to say, would you like prayer? But in your teams, it's important to be prepared and be trained and be ready for when the opportunities come up and have a station available to offer prayer or things like that for the cracks in the time that, you know, they may need prayer, but you don't sense it because you're not in tune with the Holy Spirit because you're worried about time. Someone on the team can sense it, so that's the benefit of teamwork. Um, That's about all. We only have, uh, like... Eight, eight minutes uh, left, so I want to get a, a question or two, but also to say if, if, if you like this topic and what we had to share, could you please fill out one of the evaluations and, and let them know um, that you'd like to see more of this or maybe more in-depth on this or see it again that you think people next year would, would enjoy this topic. So please do fill that out. And, and I actually have, uh, with Blessings International, um, that PowerPoint that I just did, I'm trying to put it into a booklet form, and I, I have a few, although I'm a little bit embarrassed to give them away because they're, they're very much drafts and there's typos and there's, it's not a completed deal, but I went ahead and printed some, but at Blessings International, um, we want to make this available and some of the other things, so you can go to blessing.org uh, in the future, um, and hopefully that there'll be some of this uh, available. So I've got, a, I've got, I don't know, a, some of these. You're welcome to have one. Please forgive me for the typos, and it's not a, it's, it even says on it, draft two. So we're still working on it, but it's there for you. So any questions in our, in our remaining six, seven minutes uh, for our wonderful panelists? Or, yeah? I have a question. Yeah. Um, and Laura kind of, um, you know, you hit on some of it, but um, how do you, Okay, how do you, as um, doctors that go, or nurses that go on the medical mission field, reconcile praying on the field with 
patients for their healing, but you're not always able to do that in the secular medical field in your practice um, because of legal restraints or the company you work for. Okay, who would like to handle that? Um, I have. You can. <laughs> I have been fortunate in that. Um, the companies that I've worked for have mostly had somewhat of a Christian basis, so I haven't had to worry about the legal thing. But even in medical school, which was definitely secular and not Christian, I trusted the Holy Spirit, and it may have been one patient a week, one patient a month that I felt led to, and I offer and ask their permission. And I feel that in anything we do in medicine, we offer and ask permission. We never force a patient for, you know, obviously if they're unconscious. Or <laughs> but <laughs> if they're conscious and communicating with us, it takes their permission to do anything. So I've never had any problems with it. And in Dr. Walt's um, presentation, he said for some of the federal standards, taking a spiritual assessment is now a requirement even. So if you're in a secular Healed, and you're, that's, a, that's an issue close to you, can't I even be praying, Talk, get that book, <laughs> Grace Prescriptions, because it's got information about that. Because they, our society, we're very much secular, but also very spiritual now, where we wouldn't have been a couple of decades ago necessarily. So there are some openings that, you know, Jesus is my spirit guide. You know, I know somebody who uses that terminology. So anyhow, there may be more opportunities. Yes, another question. And just uh, say it quickly, and I'll try to repeat it. So um, I was shadowing a doctor. I'm a second-year medical student, and I was shadowing a doctor before I had medical school. And it just uh, was a cancer patient who had basically given up. And this doctor had known this patient for a long time and ended up praying with him. And I, I guess just in that moment, I was thinking, I just want to know what to say to someone who has given up all hope and how to pray for a patient like that. And I, I didn't know how you all had dealt with that, if you've experienced that with any of your patients who's just, they're done. They've given up any hope and they just don't want to go on anymore. So the question is, what do you do if a, a patient is finished at the end of their life and praying for them? What, what would you say? What would you do? Dr. Treadway? I think you have to do it on an individual basis, and you have to trust God to give you a word of what what is appropriate at that time. And I've and I've had situations such uh, such as that. Uh, one brief example, not quite that, but I remember uh, I'm an obstetrician gynecologist, but also a reproductive endocrinologist, and I found myself in refugee camps in Cambodia a number of years ago for the conflict going on. And I looked around, and they did not need any of my skill sets. And I had a little meltdown as I wondered why I had gone through all this education. And here I was working a leprosy ward. Now, that was not in my armamentarium that I was comfortable with to begin with. But I remember there was a young girl, uh, late uh, teens, early 20s, uh, that was quite attractive except leprosy had taken her nose. And she was sharing with me, uh, she had just accepted Christ, but how could she get married? How could anyone love her? A similar situation, what do you say to someone like that? 
and God just had me put her, put my arms around her, and I felt the love of God do things that I could not speak into being. God is either with you or he's not, and he's the one that you have to follow. And, and in those moments, that's when you say, Lord, what should I do? And he will often give you... I, I ministered to a woman, she's actually on our team, who's... Uh, two-year-old, no, three-year-old grandson got a gun and murdered his mother. And this this woman walked into this scene and had to deal with that. How do you minister to someone who's going through that kind of horrific tragedy? Well, one of the things that we were we were praying just in a time of just, just praying, and we were listening to a worship song, and it was the song that goes, Come dance with me, dance with me. And I, I felt like I needed to ask her to dance with me. And so, so we did to, to that song. It was worship, and it was like she said after she told another one. It was like the Lord was just with her, comforting her. And I never expected to dance with someone in a prayer session like a waltz, but I would call that a prophetic act. And that was what the Lord let, and it, and it ministered to her soul. And we've been able to pray with her a lot. But yeah, you will be called upon in these difficult situations that are about. And I have a friend who does hospice care. You know, and, and how do you minister? And there's, God will lead you. That's what, and he, he's in us. He loves them. Maybe it's time for them to transition, and you'll get to help prepare them to transition well. So that's good. So thank you all so much for coming. Lord, Jesus, just bless us all. You use us all as healers, however you want us, wherever we go. I thank you, Lord, that your power and your Holy Spirit speaks to us, and you will use us to bring healing, physical, emotional, spiritual, to others who need it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Very good.